That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, the place where smart people get their news. The taking of millennial wealth by rich white boomers. You know, there's a lot in the news today. And, you know, they just had the primaries yesterday. California came out okay, the Democrats. Uh, Joe Siegelman. Uh, Don Siegelman's son won the primary to, to be the uh, to run for to be the Democratic candidate for attorney general in Alabama. Uh, great guy. Check out his website. You know, check out what he's doing. Uh, I've met Joe Siegelman. I had dinner with him. Uh, Louise and I had dinner with him and his sister and uh, really smart guy and a really smart lawyer. And he'll make a great attorney general. But I think the, the stuff that. And, and, I'm, and I'm going to get into some of the very specific news of the day, like this new veterans bill, as part of my rant for this first hour. And our second hour, by the way, we're going to be talking about the 50th anniversary of the death of uh, Robert F. Kennedy with Lamar Waldron. And, uh, you know, so we will, we will be going through, through that. And in our third hour, Mike, Mike Lux is going to drop by. But, and throughout, you know, we'll take your calls and I'll be talking about other pieces of the news. But I think the, the, so much of what is happening right now in the United States from the Republican Party uh, using, uh, you know, uh, race baiting and phony patriotism. You saw Trump's thing yesterday where he, he's like, you know, we don't want the Eagles here. Uh, you know what? Most of their players are black and they don't like me. And so, uh, you know, we're just going to have a whole bunch of white people in suits. It was like the Brooks Brothers riot down in Florida when when Tom DeLay sent his staff members down to pound on the windows where they were recounting the votes in the 2000 election and shouting, stop the vote, stop the vote, pretending they were Floridians. And they, and, you know, ultimately got the Supreme Court to stop the vote count, excuse me, the vote count. But, you know, they called it the Brooks Brothers riot because these guys were all dressed in $1,000 suits, right? They all work for Tom DeLay. Well, it was the same thing yesterday. I, you know, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I did see pictures of it. I didn't see a single black face among pretty much anywhere. And, and uh, there were a number of people who were tweeting that they went around and asked people as they were leaving, you know, uh, who's your favorite Eagles player? And none of them could answer. These weren't Eagles fans. These were props. They were probably Republican staffers from Capitol Hill. Uh, although, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Trump donors who came in to, to have a nice afternoon on the South Lawn of the White House. It's just, you know, it's a scam. It's a hustle. And he's using, you know, as Samuel Johnson said back in the 1700s, patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And they are using the American flag, patriotism, the national anthem, which apparently Donald Trump doesn't know the words to. They're using that because he kept, you know, kind of mumbling while he was trying to sing yesterday or America the Beautiful or whatever it was. Uh, They're using this to tear us apart. Now, why would they do that? They're doing that because there is an, an enormous amount of money at stake. See, power usually comes down to money. Money usually comes down to power because with power, you can acquire money. With money, you can acquire power and you can keep your money. And that's what's going on. Paul Bukite wrote a piece. It's up at the top of Common Dreams right now. It's titled The Taking of Millennial Wealth by Rich White Boomers. 
And, you know, I want to go through some of this, but we're also going to talk about uh, Bain Capital and Toys R Us because it's a piece of the exact same story. And we're going to talk about the Veterans Administration bill that the Republicans are pushing that the White House is saying, please don't pay for unless you take that money away from things like Medicaid, Medicare, you know, uh, programs that help other people. Pitting our veterans against everybody else. So let me just go through this stuff, because I think this is, uh, this is really what's going on. This is the stuff that, that this, is, this is why they are willing, why Republicans, broadly speaking, funded by, by right-wing billionaires, who care only about their money and, and not about their country. This is why these guys are doing it, and this is what the consequence is. It's all about stealing money from the middle class, the working class, and the entire millennial generation, with the exception of the top 10%, the bottom 90% of the millennial generation. It's about taking their money and handing it off to the uber-rich. It isn't boomers who stole the millennial money. In fact, most of the guys who are making these decisions, people like you know, Charles and David Koch, they're my dad's generation. They're the greatest generation. They're not the, even the boomers. But, you know, some of the hustlers and certainly a lot of the guys walk, working on Wall Street are boomers. But it's not the boomer generation that's ripping off the millennials. It is a, it is a small, relatively small group, probably fewer than, than 100,000 people. And at the core, the political and power core of it, probably f- fewer than 5,000 people who are fabulously rich who are absolutely obsessively committed to getting richer. And they don't give a damn. They don't give a rat's ass about who is affected by it, as long as they get richer. So as Paul Bukai points out, the richest 10% of Americans in the last decade have taken 85% of the new wealth. In the past eight years, if you are in the 1% of Americans on average, now keep, on, keep in mind, you know, the top 1% goes all the way up to the top 100th of 1%, the people who are billionaires. At the bottom end of the top 1%, I think you've got to earn around five or $600,000 a year to be in the top 1%, but it's also wealth. But the top 1%, on average, if you're in the top 1% in the last eight years, you have an extra $6.7 million in your checking account or your investments. The top 1%, on average made an additional $6.75 million. The top 10%, excluding the top 1%, so that's the, you know, 2% to 10%, the top 10%. If you're in the top 10%, in the last eight years, you have averaged in your savings account, your 401k or whatever it is, around $700,000 of money that you didn't have eight years ago. So that's the top 10%. If you're in the bottom 50%, you lost $3,000 in the last eight years. You're behind where you started out. And by the way, that bottom 50% includes most of the indebted millennials. And the millennials saw their average net worth drop, not by the $3,000 average of everybody in the bottom 50%, but they saw their net worth drop far more substantially by about 8 thousand dollars. So if you are a millennial, if you're one of the older millennia, you're up to 32 years old, you're a millennial. So if you're a millennial who's been in the workforce for the last eight years, you are $8,000 behind where you started. If you're in the bottom 50% of millennials. The wages of America's poorest 50% have been stagnant for 40 years. This is intentional. Right now, young, young adults who graduate college with student debt have a ne- median net worth of a negative $1,900. Millennials are better educated now than any generation in the history of the United States, and yet they, learn, they earn 20% less money than, than baby boomers did at the same age with less education just 30 or 40 years ago. Why? Well, because so-called full employment now, back in the day, it included, you know, at least some simple benefits and reasonable pay. Keep in mind, the 1968 minimum wage, if you were to inflation adjust it, right now would be $22 an hour. 
So people had a decent standard of living, even at the minimum wage in 1968. But now you got the gig economy that typically pays less than half the wages. A full-time gig job pays less than half the wages of a regular full-time job, on average. Two-thirds of millennials, 21 to 32 years old, two-thirds of millennials have absolutely nothing saved for retirement. There are more 25 to 29-year-olds living with their parents or grandparents today than at any time since, the, since 1933, since the Great Depression. Stephen Brill, he's, a, he's an author, he, he writes about uh, how this happened. And this is what I want to get into next, is how they ripped us off. He says, ingenious financial and legal engineering turned our economy from an engine of long-term growth and shared prosperity into a casino with only a few big winners. They created exotic and risky financial instruments that separated those taking the risk from those who would bear the consequences. The result is a new, divided America. And I want to get into exactly how this happened. The changes in the law that Reagan made and the Republicans made in the 1980s that allowed for things like Bain Capital to come into existence and the kind of damage that these new exotic financial instruments that Stephen Brill was talking about have done to America to make people like Mitt Romney billionaires and make the rest of us paupers. Stick around. Welcome back to the program. This hour brought to you by the uh, electric toothbrush, Quip, Q-U-I-P, at getquip.com slash Tom. Okay, how we're getting ripped off. Now, I, I just went through, you know, basically how badly we've been ripped off. But who are the rip-off-ers? We are the rip-off-ees. Who are the rip-off-ers, and how are they pulling this off? David Dayan has a great piece in The Nation magazine, thenation.com. It was published yesterday. And it's titled, Toys R Us Workers Take on Private Equity Barons and Say You Ought to Be Ashamed. And here's what happened. Toys R Us was a profitable company. The spin that Republicans and hucksters and banksters and, and shill artists for the uber-rich are trying to put out there right now is that the reason Toys R Us went bankrupt is because Amazon ate their lunch. That is absolutely, simply, totally not true. Toys R Us, actually, one out of every five toys in America last year was sold by Toys R Us. They had $11 billion in revenue last year. And every year for the last three years, they have grown. They're not shrinking. They're not being damaged by Amazon. Toys R Us was doing just fine, thank you very much. But during the Reagan administration, they legalized something that prior to that had been illegal. And it created the whole, you know, the Michael Milkins of the world, the first generation of, of what they called at the time M&A artists, mergers and acquisition artists, which then led to, to, you know, venture capitalism, then to vulture capitalism, and now to, they renamed it private equity to make it sound nice. The stuff that Mitt Romney does for a living. And the way it works is they go to a company that's doing well, like Toys R Us, and they say, hey, you know, nice company you got there. We're going to buy you. And Bain Capital, along with uh, two other uh, companies who played a smaller role, I think it was KKR and, uh, hang on just a second, I got it. Yeah, Bain and KKR. And there was one other company that was, a, and Vornado Realty Trust, they played a very small role in this. So these three companies went to them and they said, uh, we're going to buy your company. And the cost to buy this company with $11 billion in revenue the cost to, build the, to buy this company was $5.3 billion. That's how much money it would take to buy Toys R Us. So they borrowed $5.3 billion, kicked in $1.3 billion of their own money. I guess the total was actually $6.6 billion. So they borrowed $5.3 billion to buy Toys R Us. And then they said to Toys R Us, we borrowed that money in your name because we now own the company. So we don't owe the $5 billion. You do, Toys R Us. And you have to pay the banks back that $5.3 billion. And we continue to be able to siphon all the profits out of the company and put it in our pockets. Plus we get management fees. Plus we get consulting fees. 
You know, we get all this money and you pay the debt, Toys R Us. And so Toys R Us was making $500 million annual debt service payments. They were paying a half a billion dollars a year on debt that they didn't have before Bain came along, before Mitt Romney came along. They had none of this debt. And then Romney's company comes in and, uh, well, I don't know that they had no debt, but they, you know, this is brand new debt. And then Romney's company comes in and, 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 and takes this. And what happens is that even with $11 billion in revenue, you can't handle, you know, I mean, that's, that's total revenue. The toy business is a fairly low margin business. Um, there wasn't enough profit left over to pay it. And so now you have the situation where all 735 Toys R Us stores are going to close at the end of this month. 33,000 workers are losing their jobs. Are they getting compensated? Are they getting severance? No, the executives all got their severance. They all got their multi-million dollar packages the day before they, or just, just before they declared bankruptcy. And of course, Bain got their money, or most of it. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. This is just one of the ways that these fascists are competing to own America. I want to get into that in more detail right after this. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. By the way, if you're trying to call in, uh, don't bother. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have Comcast as our telephone provider. And uh, Comcast has, in my experience, terrible service. Uh, I have Comcast business service at home also because we do a lot of work at home. And uh, every, uh, it seems like almost every day it's down. It, it was certainly down yesterday for a little bit. It was down the day before yesterday. Uh, you know, Louise and I will both be working on our computers or trying to transfer files back and forth from, from here in the studio with Nate or whatever. And, and down goes Comcast. Business services, right? Business service. You're, this was supposed to be 99.99%. Down goes Comcast. And so for... for for Louise and I, two hundred outages when today in the last hour. Oh, Nate says in the last hour, two hundred Comcast outages in Portland. I mean, it's just, you know, it's insane how unreliable this is. It's just insane. It's pathetic. And and if and so our phones aren't working, so you can't call in and we can't call out. And so you know, it's going to be you and me for the next couple hours unless Comcast gets this fixed. And uh, I want to finish my Comcast riff, and then I'm going to get into my fascist riff, because there's just a, <laughs> I've got a lot of riffs for you anyway today, so it's just a fine day to not have phones. Um, but uh, to, to, to complete, to close the loop on my Comcast rant, when, when we lived in Vermont, Vermont had a law that said that whoever brought the telephone lines or the cable lines into your home had to allow anybody else to use those lines, to rent those lines from them. Now, that sounds kind of abstract. Let me tell you exactly how it worked. Verizon had bought from Eastern Bell, I think it was, or Bell Northeast or whatever it was after the breakup, which had originally owned all the telephone lines in Vermont, right? Because uh, they had strung all the telephone lines all over the country. Bell had been a monopoly since the 30s. So uh, when Bell got broken up, there was Northeast Bell. Northeast Bell got acquired by Verizon. And Verizon then, Louise and I were living in Montpelier, Vermont, and Verizon owned all the telephone wires. But I didn't want Verizon as my phone company. I didn't think well of Verizon. I had Verizon as a, as a uh, cellular provider for a while, and I was so upset with them that, uh, uh, you know, I canceled their contract. I paid the $300 fee to cancel the contract. And Louise and I went out in the backyard and had a ceremony where I dug a hole and buried my cell phone. That's how much I hated Verizon or how much I disliked their service. And uh, so for our phone service, uh, I didn't want uh, Verizon. And there was a little company in Montpelier by the name of uh, Sovernet. S-O-V-E-R-N-E-T, because Vermont often thinks of themselves as a sovereign nation. I think this is where the name come from, came from, the net for network. And Sovereignet was run by a couple of local guys. They literally, their offices were a block away from where our house was in downtown Montpelier, Vermont. And their, the price for telephone service, and this was when we were starting this show out of my home in Vermont. And Bernie used to come over and sit next to me at my desk, and we'd, you know, we'd do this show. 
I wanted Sovereignet to be my telephone provider. And, they, and their charge was 25 bucks a month, flat rate, service is free, instant service, we're local, everything's cool. No fancy this or that, no special, oh, do you want this package or that package? They didn't play any of the BS games that, that Verizon did. It was just very straightforward. 25 bucks a month is, you know, per line. And so we brought uh, six lines into the house. And Verizon had to come out and install the extra pieces of copper, you know, the extra wires from the telephone pole to the house. Because we were originally wired for just two lines, our house. And then, you know, once, once Verizon got that stuff in there, Once Verizon got, you know, the, the cable in there, then Sovernet became my phone company over Verizon's wires. Because there was a law in Vermont that said Verizon had to, if, if Sovernet wanted to, to rent their wires, presumably it was much less than $25 a month. Let's say they paid 5 bucks a month to Verizon. Whatever, you know, Verizon was making a profit. Whatever the cost of maintaining that copper was, they were making a profit on it. And, and renting it out to Sovernet, in the case of my particular home. And then Sovernet, working over that cable, just like over the internet, provided phone service. And it was perfect phone service. We never once had a problem. Actually, uh, there were a couple of times when we did have problems, and every single time I would call the local guy, and he would walk over, and in 10 minutes the problem would be fixed. And both times it was because outside, Verizon's copper had gotten corroded or there was something flaky or whatever, but we never had a problem with Sovereignet itself. I'm pretty sure it's been 15 years since we left Vermont, but I'm pretty sure that Vermont now is pretty much like every place else in the country, and that is that these giant companies have gotten laws passed that allow them to lock you down. So if Comcast provides the telephone line into your house, you have to have Verizon telephone or Comcast telephones. If Comcast provides the cable service into your house, you have to have Comcast cable. Now that is not the case in most of the rest of the world. Once again, we are the ripped off suckers of the planet. In France, for example, and there was a great piece about this in the New York Times a couple of years ago. In France, there are, you can, you can choose from more than 100 internet service providers, regardless of who is bringing the fiber or the cable or the copper into your home. Let's say that you have, I mean, I'll use American named companies just because I don't know the French named companies, but, you know, so it's a for example. But let's say that you've got, you know, Comcast bringing, you know, your cable TV, running the cable TV wire into your home, into your home. Comcast maintains that line. They may do it for your whole neighborhood, for your whole town. But I don't want Comcast as my internet service provider. In France, if Comcast owns the copper coming into your house, you can pick from over 100 different competing internet service providers to be your ISP. And of course, they have net neutrality, which, by the way, ends on Monday in the United States. One more tightening of the screws, one more deepening of the clamp of the corporate boot on the, the iron corporate boot to, to quote President Grover Cleveland's 1887 annual State of the Union address where he talked about the, the, the iron heel of corporate America is upon the neck of the average citizen. That was the Gilded Age. Well, it, we're here again. So if I'm in France and I've got Comcast bringing it into my house, but I'd really rather have, you know, AOL or CompuServe or or uh, Spirit One, or you know, Spirit One used to be an ISP here in, in, uh, in Oregon. In fact, we had them uh, keep our old website up for a long, long time. They just seem to have died in the last few months. But say I wanted Spirit One as my internet service provider. I would just call them up and say, hey, what do you charge? And they'd say, well, you know, we charge $45 a month or $33 a month or whatever. I mean, everybody had different prices, right? You pick whoever, you, oh, what services do you offer? Well, here's the speed you can get and all this kind of stuff. And they become your internet service provider, even though Comcast owns the copper. Comcast then finds themselves in a position where they would have to compete with these companies, where they're hoping that you'll pick them as your internet service provider. That's called competition. That's something that Republicans and conservatives always give lip service to. And when they do, they are lying. They are simply lying. To quote Vice President Henry Wallace, April 9th, 1944, 
in the, in the uh, New York Times. They claim to be super patriots, but they would destroy every liberty guaranteed by the Constitution. They demand free enterprise, but they are the spokesman for monopoly and vested interest. The final objective toward which all their deceit is directed is to capture political power so that using the power of the state and the power of the market simultaneously, they may keep the common man in eternal subjection. You know, we were talking earlier about the problem that millennials have. People have to have internet service. But here we have these monopsonies. You know, we've, you, you, you have one, maybe two, maybe three, but probably not companies that you can choose from to get your internet service. You know, and, and, and that's it. And if they own the copper or if they own the cable or if they own the fiber coming into your house, you are toast. You've got to work with them. That's it. You have no other choice. In the rest of the world, they don't allow these companies to operate like these kinds of monopolies. Only here in the stupid United States, and I say stupid in that we have allowed ourselves to be duped by these, by these billionaires and politicians and these giant corporations and the politicians they own to the point that now they own the, the media to the point. I mean, keep in mind, Comcast owns MSNBC and NBC. You're not going to hear this conversation that I just shared with you on any, any of these corporate networks. AT&T is trying to buy CNN. You think you're going to hear about this on CNN? This is where we're at right now. This is why you can't call into this show right now. Because I don't have a choice. There's no competition. This is how, how pathetic it has gotten in this country. Okay, so, you know, nice little rant there and, and, uh, and uh, this, by the way, Henry Wallace said, that, you know, fascism is the greatest threat to the United States will come after the war within the United States itself. He said, if we define an American fascist as one who puts in, ca in case of conflict, puts money and power ahead of human beings, then there are undoubtedly several million fascists in the United States. There are probably several hundred thousand if we narrow the definition to include tho only those who in their search for money and power are ruthless and deceitful. They are patriotic in time of war because it is in their interest to be so, but in time of peace they follow power and the dollar wherever they may lead. Which brings us to what Trump is doing right now with the Veterans Administration. And if you're a veteran or you know a veteran or there's a veteran in your family, Stick around. In four minutes, I'm going to give you the whole story. The story you're probably not hearing on television. I had MSNBC on, and, and they played Trump in his entirety, all his bragging. And I'm like, screw this. I went to CNN, you know, in the, in the TV here in our studio, and CNN does not have Trump on. I'm over it with MSNBC. Every time Donald Trump shows up to say anything, putting him on the air. I get it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Trump deregulated the Internet, killed net neutrality for Comcast. Comcast owns MSNBC. MSNBC puts Trump on at the drop of a hat. I get it. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs, and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X chair. The X-Chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X-Chair. And the X-Chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X-Chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, dot com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. We were planning on doing an hour with Lamar Waldron to talk about the assassination of Bobby Kennedy 50 years ago today. We're 
Lamar is right now trying to figure out if he can make Skype work on his phone because his computer is not working today. And uh, if he does, we may be able to get him in and, and have at least part of that conversation. But I'm not optimistic. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to finish the rant that I started in the previous hour. And I'm not talking about the rant about Comcast and about monopolies and, and how uh, phone companies and cable companies should be required by law like they are in Europe to rent their copper lines to any provider, any, any Internet service provider or telephone service provider who wants to pay them a profitable rate and then market their services to the public. Uh, that, you know, that brand, I think, stands on its own. But I want to get back to how we're all being robbed and who's doing the robbing. And the robbing, of course, is the billionaire class that Donald Trump is a member of uh, along with, you know, the other billionaires in his cabinet, Betsy DeVos, Wilbur Ross, et cetera, and the multimillionaires in his cabinet and the multimillionaires in Congress and the billionaires who own them. And, you know, one, and, and, and how, broadly speaking, the, the Trump administration, the, the equation, the formula that they've come up with, the strategy that they have employed is one that is frankly, an old Republican trick. You know, when Paul Manafort was, was uh, working for Reagan, when Paul Manafort was running Jerry Ford's campaign, when Paul Manafort was working for George Herbert Walker Bush, Paul Manafort and his, and his partner in his company, Lee Atwater, understood, you know, in addition to the whole race-baiting thing that they got, they turned into an art form. They also understood that, that, David Ogilvy's old admonition from, from Ogilvy and Mather, the famous ad company back in the day, O&M, David Ogilvy famously said, sell the sizzle, not the steak. Right? People, wanna, people want the, the, the what's in it for me. You know, why, why should I care? So, sell, the, sell the sizzle. Right? So Trump just did this thing at the White House in front of a bunch of vets and, and you know, using them as props cynically, disgustingly. And, I'll, and I'll, you'll understand in a moment why I said disgustingly. He just, did, he just celebrated the signing of a piece of legislation that the Republicans pushed through that accelerates the process of privatizing the Veterans Administration. Now that in and of itself is arguably, potentially, pretty awful. It depends on how it's handled. What this legislation does is it says that if you're a veteran and you qualify for VA services and you don't want to go to the local VA, you can go to any doctor you want and the VA will have to pay for it. And that doctor can basically charge anything they want. They're not doing it through like the Medicare system or the Medicaid system where there are already established rates and here's what we'll pay and all that kind of thing. No, no, just go. Have fun. Now, about a third of all veterans are already getting services from private facilities. But the reason why is not because they privatized the VA. It's because, you know, America is a very, very large country physically. And the VA can't have offices everywhere. And so if you live more than a certain distance from a VA office, and I, I frankly don't know, I, I, I think I did know it one time, but don't know the distance that you have to live from the VA, but if you live, you know, 100 miles away or 150 miles away or 50 miles away or whatever it is, whatever that number is, then, you know, you can use a local vendor. You don't have to drive to the Veterans Administration to the VA hospital, you know, unless it's like you're going in for a hip replacement or something, then, you know, you get to go to the VA hospital. So what, but the, what this legislation is saying, if I understand this correctly, and I'm looking at a piece of uh, an article in today's Washington Post by Erica Werner and Lisa Rain. It's titled, Trump to sign veterans bill as, as White House works against plan to fund. And that's the scam. What they're saying, and this is very straightforward, what this, what this will do is it'll say basically any veteran anywhere, even if you live next door to the Veterans Administration Hospital, you can still go to your private doctor and the VA will pay for it. So here's the opening of the article. President Trump is preparing to sign a sweeping new law Wednesday, that's today, aimed at expanding veterans' access to private sector health care. 
But behind the scenes, and this is the part, you know, when MSNBC just played Trump doing his whole propaganda shtick, and I got so disgusted I went to CNN, and thank God Trump's face was not on the screen. I doubt anybody pointed out that there are two necessary steps to legislation. See, this is, this is the thing. You know, this, this is why I think talk radio is such a useful and important thing when, in this age of pathetic media, is that I can take a few minutes and I can actually explain to you what's going on and, and, and you know, don't have any corporate pressure, not owned by any billionaires or giant corporations, and can basically just tell you what's going on. Because I don't think that what you learned is that basically there's two pieces to legislation. There is the law that makes something happen. And then there is the appropriation of money to pay for that to happen. Now, often, typically, commonly, those two things are combined in the same legislation. We will create a program where veterans can go to any doctor that they want. And the Veterans Administration will have to pay the bill. And we're guessing it's going to cost about $50 billion, but, you know, we don't know, but we're guessing. So here's the law. The VA has to pay the bill, pass the law. That's what happened. And Donald Trump signed it and said, isn't this wonderful? We're doing wonderful things for our veterans. Privatizing the VA, starting the, the, uh, the speeding up the destruction of the Veterans Administration. But the thing that they're not telling you, although the Washington Post did in this lead article, which is probably why Trump is constantly ragging on Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, and the Washington Post itself. The thing that they're not telling you is, and I quote from the second paragraph of today's Washington Post, the VA Mission Act authorizes new health care programs for veterans. Remember, that was the first half of legislation I'm telling you about? It authorizes it. But the bill does not reserve federal money to pay for those programs. In other words, there's no appropriation. There's no setting aside of cash to pay for it. A group of powerful Senate committee chairmen aims to remedy that by amending a separate measure to pay for the new $50 billion law, but the White House is engaged in a quiet effort to thwart the senator's plan, encouraging lawmakers to vote it down and instead asking Congress to pay for the veterans programs by cutting spending elsewhere. Now, you know he's not going to cut spending at the Pentagon. He's not going to cut his little border wall thing, although it hasn't been funded yet. So where else do you cut? Well, you got food stamps. You got housing assistance. You got infrastructure. You've got, I mean, they're not going to cut the $100 billion a year in subsidies that we give to the fossil fuel billionaires. That's, I guarantee you, that's not going to get cut. You got Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. You know, if, if you're a Republican and you're looking around for $50 billion to, to help privatize the Veterans Administration, which on its face, by the way, should seem absurd. Wait a minute. We're spending an extra $50 billion to get the exact same results? People are still seeing doctors just like they used to see doctors, but it's costing us $50 billion more because instead of going to the VA facility where the doctors are government employees, they're going to go to a private doc who's, who's you know, making a million bucks a year. But the bottom line is they're, they're, they're making this happen, and then they're going to cut elsewhere. White House, again, back to the article by Eric Warner and Lisa Rain in today's Washington Post in the business section. You can read it yourself. The White House is engaged in a quiet effort to thwart the senator's plan, encouraging lawmakers to vote it down, and instead asking Congress to pay for the veterans programs by cutting spending elsewhere. White House officials are circulating a memo on Capitol Hill this week that slams the senator's proposal as, quote, anathema to responsible spending, end quote, and that predicts it would lead to ballooning costs and, quote, virtually unlimited increases, end quote, in veterans spending on private health care. And that's the key to the whole thing. As I said in the very beginning, they didn't attach, you know, with Medicare and Medicaid, we know what it's going to cost based on how many people are in the system. Because we know, broadly speaking, you know, what people use at what age or what stage in their lives. And we also know what we're going to pay for it because they have a schedule. If somebody on Medicare goes in to get an appendectomy, there's a, a certain specific amount of money that will be paid for that. If they go in to get their tonsils removed, there's a certain specific amount. You show up with a broken leg or arm, they, they have a payment schedule 
and, and you know, doctors and hospitals are perfectly willing to do it. It's a reasonable payment schedule, but it's a schedule. It's not, hey, whatever you want to charge. But by privatizing the VA, this is very much like the poison pill they put in the legislation for the post office. This is very much like that, where they had to, for, for, for 10 years, the post office had to set aside an extra $5 billion a year to pay for the health care of postal workers uh, 75 years from now. It was, just a, it was just a poison pill. It was just to destroy the post office. This is a poison pill to destroy the VA because there are no limits on the spending. They're estimating it's going to be $50 billion this year that they're going to have to take from other programs in order to pay for veterans to go to private doctors instead of VA doctors and get the exact same service. They're estimating it's going to be $50 billion. But as the Republicans are pointing out in their own damn memo, there could be, quote, virtually unlimited increases, end quote, because there's not a payment schedule. There's not, there's not a, the, you know, the, the, it's not attached to it. There's nothing. It's just, hey, yeah, go, have fun. This is a cynical, cynical plan by the Republican Party and the Trump administration to privatize the Veterans Administration to make more profit for their buddies in the hospital business, in the, in the, in the, in the medical practices business, in the drug business, all of these private industries are going to make out like fortune. Well, they're, they're handing them $50 billion just this year, estimated. Might be $100 billion next year, might be $300 billion after that. And where are they going to take that money from? Probably out of your Social Security check or out of your, out of your food stamps. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Or out of your long-term unemployment or out of the budget of the agency that protects your bank from robbing you or that keeps the, the, the factory down the street from poisoning. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, I believe, is Mike Lux. We have mics, yeah, right? Hi. Okay, cool. He is a partner in Democracy Partners. He is the author of two books, The Progressive Revolution, and a brand new book out just this week, How to Democrat in the Age of Trump. DemocracyPartners.com is his website. Progressive Lux, L-U-X, is his Twitter handle. Mike, welcome back to the program. Good to be Mike. here. It's been a while. How are you doing? It has been, and, and thank you for joining us. Uh, so tell us about your book, How to Democrat in the Age of Trump. How do you do that? How do I do that? How do we do that? Well, uh, first of all, on the title, uh, uh, we believe Democrat uh, ought to be a verb. We, we believe that Democrats need to be in action, need to be doing things, uh, need to be moving. Uh, they need to be and, democrating to turn it into a gerund. So we're turning it into a verb. Uh, the, the idea of the book uh, is this, Tom. Uh, Democrats have, have uh, blown it in the last 10 years. The, the table was set for us in 2008. We just won two big elections. Uh, we, the country knew that Republican trickle-down policies sucked, uh, and we could have done so much more. And the fact that uh, we didn't, uh, it, I think, has turned the tables. The, all the demographic trends that were going our way uh, are still going our way. The, the, the fact that people agreed with us on most issues uh, in, over the last 10 years, we haven't won elections in spite of all those things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the reason is that we are, we are uh, not delivering for our, for our own constituents. And uh, we're also not, not talking to people in a way that deals with people honestly. I mean, my, my biggest single piece of advice to Democrats is uh, you have to be direct with the American voters. You have to take on the tough issues uh, and talk openly about what's going on in this country right now. You have to talk openly and address issues of race and class and economics. Uh, and the fact that we're avoiding tough uh, issues is, is killing us uh, in the polls. Well, one of the uh, one of our YouTube commenters, uh, James Vickers, uh, was commenting about uh, some of the corporate media that that. Uh, portrays itself as being left-leaning. And he says, uh, artificial left, not really left, except on gays, guns, and abortion, and maybe immigration. 
But the genuine left issues that FDR really created as a foundation of the Democratic Party, worker, pay, distribution of income, you never hear discussion of those things on, in, in corporate-owned media. And by the way, I, this is, we had, uh, you know, Mark Pocan comes on this program every week for an hour and answers, takes phone calls. You know, he's the, the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, representative from, from Wisconsin. And, and, yeah, and he has pitched himself and other members of the Progressive Caucus literally hundreds of times to the networks to come on and talk about these economic issues, these pocketbook issues, these fairness issues. The, the, you know, is it right that billionaires are getting richer when, when working people are actually behind um, the, the debt of millennials, uh, free college education for everybody, uh, Medicare for all, and literally the networks will not book Democrats on those topics. They are only willing to book Democrats, by and large right now, if they're willing to talk about Donald Trump or about Russia. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's right. The media is a huge part of the problem. I think that Democrats, uh, because they're desperate uh, for the media, they uh, they allow themselves to get played sometimes. But there's no question that the corporate-owned media is a big part of the problem. I think we need to, and Tom, you and I have discussed this for years, I think we need to take advantage of our own progressive media. We need to go online. We need to go person-to-person uh, -person online. We need to use uh, all of the kind of... Uh, progressive media that we can to get our message out. And I also think candidates need to be very clear and very strong in this environment uh, to talk about the issues that really matter. Uh, and, and a, you know, classic example, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, they break through when they talk about economic issues because they're clear about what they're saying. Uh, they, they, they say it in strong, decisive, bold language. And so when they talk about it, uh, the, the media almost has to listen. They also are, are able to create their own media in a sense. The, the, you know, Bernie's Facebook page, Elizabeth's Facebook page, uh, and working with, with Facebook pages uh, and other media outlets like, like Act TV and, uh, uh, and, and Attention, uh, uh, your show. Uh, that's how we get our message out, and I think we can get our message out uh, by, by using those media. Uh, and we also just have to keep, all, all of us keep, have to keep holding corporate media accountable. Yeah, I, I, I don't think holding them accountable is something that's even possible any longer. I think that it's, it's time for the Sherman Act, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, I, I do agree with you on that, and my book talks a lot, actually, about antitrust uh, and Sherman Act related issues. M Monopoly is such a huge problem in this country. And I think if, if, if Democrats get power again, uh, that, that's one of the uh, very first things that we ought to be doing is taking on the monopolies. And you know, Schumer was waving that flag for a while a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if some of his uh, big donors came along and said, <laughs> or if he's just kind of waiting for the opportunity, because Chuck Schumer can be a very, he can be very progressive or sometimes he's not, you know, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't dislike Chuck Schumer at all. The guy knows how to play politics and knows how to, how to play hardball uh, on the one hand and, and, and has given some extraordinarily progressive speeches. On the other hand, uh, I have not seen him taking names and kicking ass the way that I think the Democrats need to be doing. And, and it's not just him. And, and maybe he is, and the media is simply not reporting it because that's what I'm hearing you know, from Pocan and from, from uh, uh, Keith Ellison and others who have sincerely tried to break through the media filter but the media, they're perfectly willing to allow Democrats to portray themselves as the party that is concerned about the rights of black people. In fact, they're, they're enthusiastic about that. They're perfectly willing to allow Democrats to portray themselves as the party that are concerned about the rights of, of gay people um, and trans people. In fact, they're enthusiastic about that. They're perfectly willing to allow Democrats to portray themselves as the party that cares about immigrants. In fact, they're enthusiastic about that. Because all those things cost nobody anything in terms of the big, the, you know, their advertisers and the corporations themselves. And all those things are being weaponized against Democrats by Republicans. But they will not allow Democrats to come on and talk about 
should, you know, the minimum wage. They will not allow Democrats to come on and talk about, ex, you know, executive pay, um, you know, particularly in this era when the media are just as bad as anybody else in terms of executive pay. They will not allow Democrats to come on and talk about the, the horrors that are being done against unions. They will not allow Democrats to come on and talk about, you know, these, these, these you know, a minimum wage, a guaranteed basic income, government as employer of last resort. These are real big issues that historically have hugely won elections for Democrats, to the point that in 1954, uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower wrote a letter to his brother, Edgar, in which he said that, that should any political party say that they are going to do away with Social Security and unemployment insurance and farm programs and things like that, in other words, basically, you know, wage protections and unions, should any party ever say that, they will never be heard from again. And he says, I know there's a small number of oil men in Texas, the Hunt brothers come to mind, who think that this is possible, but their numbers are small and they are stupid. Um, that was because back in the 50s, if, if somebody had come along and said that, it would have made the news. But now it's like, you know, the Democrats are being portrayed as the, as the party of, of affiliation with, with, with basically minorities. And the Republicans are being portrayed as the party that represents everybody else, particularly the white majority. And it's really not the case. The Democrats economically have always represented everybody to a, to a large extent, you shouldn't say always, you know, certainly since, since the 60s. And, 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 well, arguably since the 30s, although, you know, if you bring race into this since the 60s. But the average American doesn't know that because that's not what they're hearing from their media. Well, I, uh, I, of course, think you're right, Tom. I do think we need to sharpen uh, our own message on economics. I think we allow ourselves to get pulled off uh, sometimes into some of those other issues. But if you look at the way, I mean, this is uh, obviously it's not a presidential year, so it's a different kind of dynamic. If you look at the way local races are being run, uh, more and more Democrats are doing a good job of running on economic issues at the local level. You're right. And, and forcing the conversation at the local level, which is why, by the way, I think we've been uh, we've been doing better uh, in local elections. We just none, won another big special election last night uh, in Missouri uh, where we're winning special elections uh, in, across the country. And, Especially uh, when genuine progressives run as opposed to, you know, right. kind of middle-of-the-road squishy, who knows what you really believe kind of Democrats. Well, exactly, and especially the ones who do talk about the kind of economic issues that you're talking about. I think in 2020, when it gets to 2020, we will have a, uh, a Democratic debate, uh, a primary debate. It's going to be the most wide-open primary in a very long time. We're going to have a lot of candidates they're going to have a chance to lay out an agenda. Uh, and in my book, I talk about what I think that uh, agenda ought to be. It won't shock you, Tom, at all <laughs> to know that I think it's, going to, it's got to be mostly framed around economics. Uh, and I think uh, you, you even frame issues that some people refer to, uh, to me in a ridiculous kind of way as identity politics. You, you frame those issues around economics as well. Criminal justice reform. Uh, you don't think that, you know, if anyone thinks that the for-profit prison industry uh, isn't the driver behind the terrible criminal justice system we have in this country, they're smoking something. Well, but, uh, you know, here's, here's another one. You know, the, 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 the Kochs and others are promoting this mens rea thing where, you know, they say, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll let some people out of prison. You got to change the law, though, so that when corporate CEOs make decisions that cause people to die, if you can't prove that they intended to kill those people, you can't put the CEOs in jail anymore. And that mens rea stuff has been built into every one of these bills that even Democrats are for. I, I'm not even sure that they're aware it's there because the media won't talk about it. Well, uh, I will tell you that this actually came up a couple years ago when, when uh, everybody uh, on, on both sides of the aisle was pushing criminal justice reform. And I will, I will say something positive about uh, my Democratic friends. Very quick, please. Uh, the, the reason that it died is because Democrats in the Senate stopped it because of that provision. Because of the mens rea. Good. Mike Lux, democracypartners.com. Progressive Lux is his Twitter handle. The new book is How to Democrat in the Age of Trump. Thank you, Mike. This Thanks, Tom. It's been great Tom to be Hartman Back at you. We'll be back with more of uh, the news of the day and your Twitter feeds and YouTube comments and Facebook comments right after this. Welcome back. Harrys.com code Tom is our uh, sponsor, our underwriter for this hour. 
And I wanted to, oh, by the way, I just, because of this Comcast outage, it's like this is happening all over the country. I just, I, uh, I just looked up here, Epi, New Hampshire. The headline, this is uh, uh, Kirk Enstrom. It's the local newspaper, apparently. Uh, w, no, it's WMUR. I'm not sure if that's a radio station or a television station. I'm guessing it's the local TV station in Epping, New Hampshire. Phone lines were down Wednesday at the Epping Police Department and the Kinston Fire Department because of an outage affecting Comcast customers across the country. Amazing. I mean, this is, you can't call the fire department, you can't call the police department. This is what happens when you have giant monopolies rather than competition. I'm not saying that the failure of a system is the cause of, is the fault of giant monopolies. You know, I mean, Comcast has as much right to offer telephone service as anybody in the country. But the fact that lobbyists for big telecom companies have lobbied Congress to change the laws so that Unlike, you know, if you're old enough to remember the era of, say, for example, CompuServe and AOL and dial-up modems, you would get on your phone line with your computer and you would dial up CompuServe or AOL and you'd get your internet through them. Or you could get it from SovereignNet or you could get it from SpiritOne or you can get it from, any, I mean, there are literally thousands of internet service providers in the United States. Around 2000, around the year 2000, I personally have two different, two, I know two different people who were starting ISPs, internet service provider companies. They were starting companies to provide internet services to people because anybody could use any ISP. Well, that's just not the case any longer. And as long as we've got this monopoly situation, what would otherwise be small problems? If we had thousands of phone companies across the United States, you wouldn't have fire departments from, from the West Coast to the East Coast losing their ability to get a phone call. Again, I, you know, I got no problem with Comcast offering phone services or internet services or anything else. But there should be competition. This is, you know, somebody tweeted me, you know, uh, hate, the, hate the game, not the player. Spot on. I mean, I'm very disappointed by the, by the quality of service Comcast has provided us in general because it's, we're constantly going down here. But more broadly speaking, I'm far more horrified by the fact that nobody is allowed to compete with them by law. That's wrong. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. We need to change the game. And this should be something Democrats are talking about. And this would be a great example for it. I mean, great, great moment. Something, a news story to grab onto. Welcome back. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Tom Hartman here with you enthusiastically. Okay, uh, some of our comments from uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay, that one I've already, that pile I've already done. Here we go. Here, these are from uh, our YouTube chat room. Uh, Richard Wood Enron says, uh, or Richard Wood rather says, Enron was a Republican invention we paid for. That is Republican politics, no responsibility but to false gods. Amen. Oh, speaking of, of gods, uh, a special shout out to um, Four American Values on Twitter, because I, I was mentioning the, uh, the Matthew 25, and it's been, I don't know, it's been probably a year since I read Matthew 25, and uh, I used to have most of it memorized, and I, I was pretty sure there was, and I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, therefore off to hell with you, but uh, American Values, uh, it's Matthew 25, 43. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Therefore, off, you know, off you go. Okay. Thank you for American Values on Twitter. Uh, let's see. Malcolm Brown. Bain Capital is still using Mitt Romney's playbook. Did he win Utah's primary for the Senate? I don't know. I would be astonished if he didn't. And I predict that Mitt Romney will, will be elected to the Senate from Utah in November and will immediately begin campaigning for president and will be, uh, if there is a serious challenge to Donald Trump, it will be Mitt Romney, in my opinion. But we'll see. Time will tell. Let's see. Uh, Richard Wood over on uh, YouTube uh, says, consume. Reconciling the fact will be tough on the planet. No matter, no matter we can do better, recognizing the population would be a good start in family planning. Yes. Uh, Ryan for Prez uh, 
writes, I fear white people, especially in suits. Those guys can rob you money you haven't even earned yet. Right. Uh, Max Payne says, uh, all the people that want to keep out undocumented workers should volunteer to go to Texas and pick watermelons all day when it's 110 degrees and get paid less than minimum wage for working. Well, yes and no. I mean, what, what should happen is that picking watermelons in the hot sun in Texas should be a job that pays decently. And yeah, if I have to pay an extra 20 cents for a watermelon in the supermarket or even an extra 50 cents, that's not an unreasonable thing. You know, you either have an economy that works for everybody or you don't. You can't have the, 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 the working poor and, and immigrants subsidizing the, 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 the middle class, essentially. Just like it's inappropriate to have the middle class subsidizing the very rich, which, of course, is what's been going on in a big way since 1981. John McCain actually opened up this can of worms back, geez, I was back here in Portland doing the show, so it must have been eight or ten years ago. And McCain made the comment in a, a press conference. People were asking him questions about immigration. And, and uh, he made the comment that in Arizona, you know, there's, you can't, they, they grow lettuce in Arizona. And he said, uh, you couldn't find people who, you know, white people, who would come to Arizona to pick lettuce, even if you paid them $50 an hour. And he got like 10,000 job applications. I'm not sure he said white people, but he, what he meant was, you know, non-Hispanic, non-immigrants, white people, black people, whatever. you get my point, middle class people. Anyhow, a lot of great comments on YouTube, Facebook, and, and Twitter. I'm sorry I didn't have the time to get to all of them. I just got tied up in my rants. We're, we're going to have Lamar on tomorrow if our phone lines are back. And um, Congressman Pocan will be with us as well. So it should be an interesting and fun day. Thanks so much for being with us today. And please, don't ever forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us to participate. And the stakes are really high. So get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.